Let's look into the 15th chapter of Romans for an introductory verse. Romans 15 and verse 4 and 5. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. I read these verses because I want to read this afternoon from some passages in the Old Testament. I want to take them up by way of type and apply them to our walk and to our ways that we may be exercised in our pathway. And this verse here tells us that the things that were written in the Old Testament Though they were not exactly written to us as Christians, they were written for us. Notice it says they were written for our learning. And if we take them up rightly in the light of the New Testament and its application, we can get great light and great help and encouragement for our pathway. And so having that in mind, I want to turn back to the book of Samuel and to some incidents in the life of King David. But this was before he was king, David. He was David, the rejected one. And I'd like to look at, uh, begin with 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's read a couple of verses at the first of the chapter. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of, da- of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him in that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I'd like to look at uh, the relationship of David and Jonathan. And the purpose that I have in doing this is to look at... David is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know he is. And Jonathan, a type of the believer. And I'd like to follow the life of Jonathan as far as his history is concerned in relation to David. And I hope we can make some very pointed applications for our lives here. And each one of us may be exercised about the way. Leading up to where I've just read... We come through that very pivotal chapter, chapter 17. That's where David went down into the valley of Elah. And he accomplished a great victory for the children of Israel. He slew the giant and uh, won a great deliverance for all Israel. And it's a picture for us of the Lord Jesus going down into death and winning a great victory over Satan, the devil, and accomplishing a great salvation for whosoever will. You know, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that he through death might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And so one great aspect of the death of the Lord Jesus is in that he vanquished and annulled the power of Satan and won a great victory for uh, the people of God. Jonathan had seen this, as well as many others in Israel. David risked his life, but because of love and devotion for his people, 
He went down into that valley and he accomplished that great victory over the giant. And now, that having been done, we find that Jonathan is affected deeply by what he saw in David. And I want to look first of all at four great features in the life of Jonathan that should be seen in the life of every one of us, and especially the young. We find in Jonathan that he begins his course with David so beautifully, so uh, wonderfully, and it's a great example for us all. <clears throat> we find here that although David won the victory for all Israel, Jonathan was particularly affected by what he saw. And uh, Jonathan loved David, as it tells us here, as his own soul. And, you know, that's one of the greatest uh, proofs we have in the whole Bible as to whether a person has truly been saved. And that is that there is love for the Lord Jesus. Obedience to God and love to the Lord Jesus are two great proofs where the person has passed from death unto life. It's often been said, if you have no love for the Lord Jesus, then you're not saved at all. Because every child of God has an appreciation, some more, some less, for what the Lord Jesus has done at the cross. And so as we speak to young people here, I think this is about the best place where we can begin. David and Jonathan's commitment to one another. It, we tell, it tells us here in verse 3 that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. This might be our first point. Covenant with David. <clears throat> It might speak to us of a personal transaction that went on between those two. A covenant of security and blessing that David made with Jonathan. And it would speak to us of that personal transaction that we hope that every person in this room this afternoon has made with the Lord Jesus. That there has been some transaction of faith and receiving the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And to know the security and the assurance and the blessing of being his and his for eternity. This is what is pictured here in the life of Jonathan at this point. So affected by what he saw David doing for him, he uh, was willing to make this covenant with David. <clears throat> How wonderful. But then it leads on in the passage, and we find that in verse 4, well, let's first of all read uh, in verse 2. It says, And Saul took him that day and would let him uh, go no more home to his father's house. We find there's another person who has been affected by what took place in the Valley of Elah. And that was Saul. Saul was the king at the time, and he was Jonathan's father. And uh, he appreciated what David did. And... He took David into his house. But we'll find as we open the pages of this story of David and Jonathan that Saul was not a real lover of David. He brings before us a picture of those who are mere false professors that make a profession outwardly before others that they have an appreciation for the Lord Jesus. But in uh, their subsequent actions, you can see very well that there is no real movement of the heart toward him. This is seen in the way in which Saul behaves when he sees what David has done. He takes him into his house. 
Before all Israel, this would have shown that he must appreciate him. It was an outward action that looked like Saul had an appreciation for David. Certain things happened on the inside of the house, we'll read later, that showed very obviously that he had no appreciation whatsoever. But there's a big difference between what took place in Saul's heart and what took place in Jonathan's. While Saul took David into his house, Jonathan took David into his heart. How wonderful that the Lord Jesus would have a place in the heart of every young person here. He needs to have that place. You know, the scriptures tell us, my son, give me thine heart. This is the beginning of the Christian pathway when there is that transaction of faith with the Lord Jesus. But now let's follow on. And that fourth verse, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and in his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now, Jonathan went a step further. And what we have in this verse is a picture of committing himself to David. We might speak of as committal to David. David never asked him for these things, but his love went so far for David that he was willing to surrender those things that distinguished him in Israel as being the son of the king. And he was willing to give it to David. And it's a picture for us of the heart's response in the child of God to surrender our life and all that we may have had as ambitions to the Lord Jesus and to make him Lord over all of our life. Now, very often, in the experiences of Christians, there's a long ways between knowing Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. There doesn't have to be. Saul of Tarsus, when he was struck down on the road to Damascus, we find there that he immediately says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? But to put the Lord in his rightful place in our life, which we speak of as lordship, sometimes takes some painful experiences in the life of the believer. When he first gets converted, he's not just willing to trust the Lord for all of the direction in his life. And it takes some time before he's willing to really put the Lord in his rightful place. But what we see here with Jonathan is a beautiful picture of one stripping himself and surrendering himself to the Lord Jesus. Jonathan here gives his robe, as you notice, and his garments to David. As I said, those are the things that distinguished him in Israel as being the son of the king. You know, he had a place and a right to the throne, and uh, he may have had many ambitions as to what lay before him. He could really make something out of himself in Israel. But he was so affected by what he saw in David that he was willing to set that aside and give it to David. It was as much as saying, David, you're the only one that really belongs, has the right to the throne. You're the one that should be distinguished in Israel. You take these garments and you're the one that they really should belong to. And it's a beautiful picture, as I say, of a believer surrendering his life into the hands of the Lord. We hope that every young person has done just that in their life. Because, you know, to prove the happy, fruitful Christian life begins by putting the Lord in his rightful place. To put him, as it were, on the throne of our life. We often like to 
make our own decisions in life. But the, the joy in the Christian pathway comes by giving the Lord his rightful place. Now you notice, too, that he put his sword and his bow and his girdle into David's hands. These were things that would be used in battle to defend Jonathan. And by giving that, I think that's a little picture for us of a one that realized that he no longer needed to defend himself. He had David now that was going to uh, be his security. If he could slay the giant, he could look after him for all other problems. And Jonathan was willing to put that into his hands as well. And how wonderful it is that we have the Lord Jesus as our great provider for every circumstance and situation in our life. We can count upon him to take care of us. How wonderful. <clears throat> and so we have two great features here. First of all, commitment. Or first of all, uh, covenant with David. And then secondly, commitment to David. But let's turn over to chapter 19. We'll get a couple more points that are so beautiful in this man's life. Chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan delight, uh, told David, saying, My father, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself to the morning, and abide in secret place, and hide thyself. Here we have... Something that has come up that is very shocking in the life of Saul, uh, Jonathan. He loved David, and he expected that his father would too. And now it turns out that uh, Saul has proven himself to be not a lover of David at all, but a hater of David. <clears throat> and more than that, his rejection and hatred for David, he encourages Jonathan and his servants that they should take the same position against David. And this was a tremendous disappointment to Jonathan. Why, he thought that his father would really appreciate what David had done. And what we find here is so beautiful, and I hope that this is something that's in the life of each of us here, and that is that when Jonathan found out this sorrowful news, that he went straight to David, and he confided in him about this. I'd like to use this as a point, what we might speak of as confiding in David. Here's another great point that needs to be in the life of every believer. Confiding in the Lord Jesus. Make him our confidant, our friend, our counselor. The one that we can tell him about with regard to every circumstance and difficulty and sorrow and thing that may be troubling us in our life. It's often been said that we need to make him our nearest and our dearest friend. To tell him everything that is disturbing us or, pro or problems that we may be faced with. And he understands and loves to hear about it. Isn't this beautiful? Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David. He knew where to go. He knew David would understand. <clears throat> and you know, we need to make the Lord Jesus our confidant. We're told in the Proverbs... Solomon lays out, you know, in the Proverbs, the, uh, his formula for a happy life. And one of them is, 
whoso confideth in the Lord, happy is he. I don't know if you've ever followed it through the book of the Proverbs, but several times it says, happy is he. And if you just go by the words that are surrounding that, happy is he, you'll find Solomon's formula for a happy life. And one of them, as I said, I think it's the 14th chapter of Proverbs, he says, Whoso confideth in the Lord, happy is he. Surely it is the most sweet thing to enjoy fellowship and communion with the Lord Jesus. And as young people, as we address here this afternoon, if you are living your life and not really knowing much about what it is to walk through this world talking to the Lord Jesus and having him as your nearest and your dearest friend, I say you're missing a great deal of experience in your Christian life. You need to make him the one with whom you can talk to about everything. And he understands. Some of your closest friends may understand a great deal about you, but the Lord Jesus understands everything. And he will never upbraid us when we come. We're told that from James, aren't we? Well, how beautiful, he tells David. David is his confidant. Now let's read verse 3 and onward. We'll get another tremendous point in the life of Jonathan. He says, And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, and that will I tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul, his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord brought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul sware, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as at past times. <clears throat> Here's another point that I'd like to bring out, and that is uh, with Jonathan. We have him now here confessing David before Saul, his father. And this is another element that needs to be in our life, and that is, of course, confession for Christ. It's so beautiful to see that he comes forth from the secret of David's presence, and he wants to speak good of David to Saul, his father. And uh, he comes forth with a real bright confession, <clears throat> telling him of what David did at the uh, valley and how that he had wrought this great salvation. And he reasons with him so tenderly. But we find here at this point that Jonathan is slightly naive. He's got the idea that, well, if he could just uh, present the, the, uh, the story of David and his slaying the giant to Saul, his father, more perfectly, more clearly, that then surely he would receive him and accept him. He just hasn't heard it properly. But as I say, Jonathan is slightly naive. He's got the idea that if good words or a real good presentation of the story of David was given to him, then he would receive it. We get that idea sometimes, don't we, when we... Uh, 
we may have friends, connections, people that we associate with, maybe some relationship that we would like to see that person get saved. And we think that uh, if a brother is speaking, is a very good at speaking the gospel, why if we get him to come to that meeting, that will bring him to the point where he will receive the Lord. As if clear speaking or, or uh, a very good uh, description of what Christ has done and the presentation of the gospel is what is going to convince one. But we'll find here, no matter what kind of words of pleading and convincing that are given, this man is decidedly against David. I didn't read it, but in the latter part of the chapter before, he was so upset with David that he picked up his javelin and he threw it at David because he hated what he saw there in him. And we have to be understanding that uh, there are many in this world that have not faith. The apostle told that to the Thessalonians. He said, there are many that have not faith. This man is an illustration of that. <clears throat> and regardless of how gifted a person may be and how artfully he may present the gospel to a person, that's not going to convince them. Apart from the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, there's not going to be fruit in their life. But he reasons so beautifully with them. And he even says, now, why would you ever want to reject someone who has done so much for you and is only interested in your good? And so all of the elements that we find here in Jonathan's pleading with his father are really point to the gospel and its message. Now we find that Saul hearkened unto Jonathan, and Jonathan, being slightly naive, thought, well, surely he's received the message. And he's as much as said, well, I thought that would be the case. If I could just had a chance to speak to him more care clearly and carefully, he would have received. But just because Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan didn't mean that there was any movement in his heart. And we have to be careful, too, just because we may have friends that uh, we may speak the gospel to. And because out of politeness or whatever, they may very politely listen to what we say. Let's not get the idea that that means they're, they're converted. The Bible says, by their fruits we shall know them. Let us be careful not to be deceived by someone's lip service with regard to profession to Christ. So Jonathan calls David, and you can just see how happy he is. He's as much as said, see, I knew that that was going to be the case, that he would be happy to receive and accept you. And so Jonathan uh, introduces David to him, and David was in his presence as his past times. But this didn't last long, did it? Verse 8, there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him, and an evil spirit of the Lord was upon Saul. And he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin to the wall. And David fled and escaped by night. And from this point onward, David is a fugitive. David flees and he's no longer going to be in the presence of Saul. <laughs> And now we find in Jonathan's life, he's going to be tested with regard to his faithfulness and love for David. 
And this is really what I wanted to speak to the young people here about this afternoon. I would say, first of all, that we're all going to be tested as to our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. We're all going to be tested as to the path of following him. And it's going to be a direct revelation of our love for our Lord Jesus. David was going to have to take another path altogether. He was no longer accepted in the king's court. He was a rejected deliverer. Just as the Lord Jesus is a rejected savior today, Jonathan was faced with a tremendous decision at this point. The one whom he loved was rejected. And it was very obvious now that all that talking that Jonathan had with his father meant for nothing. He's thrown a javelin again at David. It was very clear that David was rejected. And so David, from this point on, takes a path of rejection. He lives in the wilderness, in caves, dens, and he's been hunted by Saul. And their paths part from here on. And as I say, Jonathan was faced with a tremendous decision. Was he to remain in the court of Saul, a place where he had advantages, place uh, that he was had for himself as the king's son? Or was he to identify himself with David in his rejection? <clears throat> he was at the crossroads of his life. You know, in Proverbs 8, we're told about the crossroads. Wisdom crieth at the crossroads, we'll hear. And I suspect that there may be many young people that are in the same circumstance as we find here. They may be wrapped up in some sort of a relationship with someone who does not have the same love for the Lord Jesus as they do. And yet their heart tells them that they should do one thing and the conscience tells another. And they're torn between the two. What should Jonathan have done? I'd let scripture be the answer. You know, in John 12, we're told, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be. Jonathan should have taken steps now and identify himself with David because it was clear that he was rejected in the court of Saul. But how difficult this was. How difficult it was. He loved his father, and there was certain advantages being in the court, in the king's court, that were going to be very difficult for him to give up if he was to walk with David. And while he lingers, as we'll find here in the next chapter, that there are things that begin to deteriorate in his soul because of his halting between two opinions. You know, the Christian pathway is altogether to walk with Christ in rejection. If we try to ride the fence, if we try to uh, maintain a circle of friends that are have no uh, appreciation for the Lord Jesus and still have a circle of friends of those who do, there's something in our life that is going to break down. My Uncle Stan used to often say, I've never seen anyone make progress in their Christian life 
as long as they maintained a circle of friends in the world. Dear young people, do you have associations? Do you have relationships that are such... Uncle Stan used to often say, I've never seen anyone make progress in their Christian life as long as they maintain the circle of friends in the world. Dear young people, do you have associations? Do you have relationships that are such that there are ones that don't have the affection for the Lord Jesus that you do? Let scripture be the answer for you with regard to those relationships. You know, if we have fellowship with the world, it's really enmity with God. We're told that in James. Whosoever is a lover of the world is uh, an enmity with God. <clears throat> the path of separation now is before Jonathan. And it's quite interesting to find that when he stripped himself with David, that he is conspicuous by the absence that he stripped himself from head to foot. But there was one thing that he did not uh, give to David, and that was his shoes. And the reason for it, I believe, is what we'll find in these next chapters, that it was difficult for him to make that decision to wholly walk with David. I want to entreat every one of us here that we make the Lord the one we're going to follow. Difficult the path may be, but it's the only way to go forward. I'm reminded of a story that Cortez, about Cortez, the explorer, when he came over and conquered the, the West Indies, I read that uh, off the shores of the land, when they landed on those islands, that uh, Cortez got his, I think it was 400 men on the shore, and then he proceeded to light the 11 ships which they had used to come across the Atlantic to that land, to light those ships on fire. And there the men stood on the shore and watched their ships, their only means of returning to Spain, go up in flames. There was only one way those people were going, those men were going to go. They were going to go forward. They were going to go into the land and they were going to take that land. He gave them no option to go backwards. And I believe that the Christian life should be viewed in that way. You know, if we give ourselves an opportunity to go backward, we might just do that. I'm reminded of that verse in Hebrews 11 where it says when they were mindful of the, of the country to which they came back, they may have returned. And so we want to give ourselves no opportunity to go back on the steps that we have taken in faith to trust the Lord in the path. Jonathan made such a good beginning. And those of us who are young here, who have grown up, most of us in Christian families, have had a great start. A great opportunity. Let me go over these four points that we've looked at. First of all, we see there a, uh, a covenant with David. We see there a committal to David. We see confiding in David. We see confessing in David. Four tremendous things that should be in the life of every one of us. But now, I want to read some verses in the next chapter. And we'll see Jonathan under testing. <clears throat> We're all going to be tested as to the path. May God give us the grace to make those decisions for the glory of our Lord Jesus and for our own good and blessing. Chapter 20. And David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? 
What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid that thou should not die. You, oh, my father, will not do anything great or small that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me also? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan to David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And Jonathan said, David said to Jonathan, Tomorrow at new moon I shall not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go, and I will hide myself in the field until the third day. And if thy father shall miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave, that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there with all his family. For if he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by me, him. Stop reading there. What we find here is that if, if Jonathan was not willing to follow David and the path is rejection, David was willing to wait for Jonathan to make that decision. And while there was this uh, big feast that was going to take place and uh, David wasn't going to be there because he was rejected and Jonathan wanted to go. So we find that uh, David is willing to wait for him in the field until Jonathan would surely know that evil was determined by his father against David. I see in this a little picture of how the Lord is so patiently waiting for Christians, <clears throat> ones that are halting between two opinions of taking up with the path of following the Lord in his rejection. And uh, it's interesting to see here that uh, as Jonathan is hesitating, that certain things begin to deteriorate with his state. And let's remember our state is never static. It fluctuates all the time. We go up and we go down. And while he waits and, uh, and lingers, we find that there is a deterioration. And the first thing that I find that Jonathan loses is his discernment. His discernment. Even after it has been proven, not once but twice, that David is all, I mean, that, that Saul is altogether against David and that he hates him, proven with the javelin, that Jonathan still says, oh, I'm sure that my father still uh, it doesn't hate you and he doesn't want to kill you. It's not so. <clears throat> it was wishful thinking on his part, and it was because he wanted to ride in both paths, and he was hoping that his father somewhere in him was some love for David, but it was not true. And while he lingered, you see uh, his discernment wane, and he thinks he's wiser than David. When David surely swears and says, no, it's true, he's trying to kill me, he hates me. Jonathan says, oh, it's not so, it can't be. And surely as Jonathan lingered, it was killing him, so to speak, because he loved David, but he wasn't yet willing to give up that place in relationship with his father and in the court of the king. 
Well, we find uh, something else. Let's turn on in uh, chapter 20 and verse. Before they uh, cease their speaking together, we learn in verse 16 and 17 that Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. Here we find something else, I see. And that is, he made David swear again that he have another covenant with him, or at least renew the covenant that they already had. And time and time again, as you read through the next couple of chapters, I think it's seven times that he makes David swear again with regard to this covenant that he had made. You say, why? Wasn't the first uh, agreement enough? It was, as far as David was concerned. And even after, long after Jonathan had left the scene to prove that covenant, David was sought out members of Jonathan's family, you know the story of Mephibosheth, and sought to bless them as to show his upholding of the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. Yes, all the promises of God are yea and amen. But what's happened here? Why does Jonathan want uh, David to swear again? It's because he's lost the sense of that security. He wasn't willing to walk with David in the outside path. And so now what's happened is that he has lost the sense of David's uh, willing to, to keep his covenant with him. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he's got the idea that maybe David will change his mind. And so he makes David swear again the second time. <clears throat> this happens, you know, when a person tries to ride the fence. Very often they begin to question whether the Lord is for them. And all kind of doubts come up in their minds. But really what the real cause is, is because they have not surrendered all. And uh, when the feet are not willing to go on the path of following Christ, and his people, to break off those links that we may have with the ungodly of this world, same thing happens. We lose our peace. And that's what happens here. He lost his sense of David's promise of security. Now, it's true, you never lose your salvation, you never lose your security, but you can lose the sense of it because of being careless in our walk. And so there's another thing we find Jonathan losing. And then in verse 18, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat shall be empty. And so they part their ways. Verse 24, David hid himself in the field, and Jonathan goes to the feast. <clears throat> but David wasn't going to be there. Maybe you've got some big party that you're planning to go to there's going to be a lot of people there that have no affection for Christ <clears throat> I can tell you this that the Lord Jesus won't be there <clears throat> you won't be able to bring him there with you and so J uh, David he was not going to be there his seat would be empty well Jonathan went to that occasion <clears throat> what do we find here is another loss in Jonathan's life a loss that we should never let any one of us, any one of us should ever allow in our life. And that is he loses the sense of having David's presence. By choosing to go that way, he wasn't going to have David's presence with him. And if we're going to keep company with those who are haters of Christ, 
we can be sure of the same thing. We're going to lose the sense of the presence of the Lord with us. He's always going to be with us. The scriptures tell us very clearly, uh, I'm with you always. <clears throat> but what happens is there can be a loss of the sense of the enjoyment of his presence because of the ways of our feet. So at the, uh, at the big party, if we could put it that way, they're going to have, and David is not part of it, Jonathan thinks that it would be a good idea to speak good at this party for David. So let's read a little further down here. And uh, well, let's read verse 30. Saul breaks out into some tirade about this David and how much he hates him. And he says, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. See, he knew that Jonathan had some affiliation with David and said unto him, thou son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to be the, to thine own confusion and to the confusion of thine own mother's nakedness? For as long as thy, the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Now Jonathan stands up and seeks to speak a word for David. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan rose up from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, and he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Here we find maybe Jonathan's conscience was uneasy, that he had not identified himself with David in his path of rejection, but whatever, he thought he'd speak well for David. And he stands up and says, why, what, good, what, what has he done wrong? And tried to speak good of David here before his father and the others. And then the javelin that was thrown at David was thrown at Jonathan. All at once, Jonathan understands that there's a price for following David in rejection. There's a price for confessing David before those who are haters of David. <clears throat> this brings before us a picture very obviously. If we confess Christ before those who are haters of him, we're going to get the same treatment that they gave the Lord Jesus, aren't we? And he said there in John 15, Marvel not that uh, if the world hates me and persecutes me, they're going to persecute you too. <clears throat> but Jonathan is learned that it's going to cost something to identify himself with David. And there is a price paid for walking in the path of discipleship and following the Lord Jesus. We're going to get the hatred of this world heaped at us as well. But if someone said it's a path that is well worth it because it's a safe and a happy path, it may be difficult, but it's a safe path. And a little later you'll find that David swears to Abiathar. He says, with me thou shalt be in safeguard. It was an up and down path going from one den to another and cave and so on through a wilderness. But he was safe. And all the while those men who identified themselves with David, they were safe. <clears throat> Have you tried to speak for the Lord Jesus in some situation like this? What kind of result will you get? 
just the same. Another thing, too, because he was in this situation that perhaps he shouldn't have been in it altogether, we don't find that the Lord identified with it at all, and there was no effect made on either Saul or the others that were at that feast. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Now you find something else. Down in verse 41. As soon as the lad was gone, David rose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For as much as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose, that's David arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan goes out to the field, he knows where David is, and he has a little season of fellowship with him. As I said, as long as he remained linked with the king's court, he had lost the fellowship, or at least the uh, communion of with David. But not altogether, there were seasons of fellowship that he could have, but it was intermittent. And as the chapters unfold before us, more and more we find that it's uh, more intermittent and uh, farther and few between of these occasions when he gets into the presence of David and has a little fellowship with David. You take the path of walking in fellowship with this world, you forfeit a tremendous privilege of being with the Lord. Here they weep together. Jonathan, uh, David was weeping because Jonathan was having trouble making this decision. And David felt it. Jonathan was weeping because he wanted to walk both paths and he knew he couldn't do it. And he wasn't willing to let go of the king's court. And then something which I think is so sweet, we find here that David rises up and he gives a lead to Jonathan. It says, David, he rose up and departed. He didn't ask Jonathan again to follow him, though he dearly wanted Jonathan to follow him. But he rises up and Jonathan goes the other way into the city. It's as much as David was giving a lead to disappear again into the, to the wilderness or wherever he was going to go in hopes that Jonathan would this time follow him. What a disappointment it must have been if he was to look over his shoulder and find that Jonathan went the other way, back into the city. David was in the wilderness. Jonathan was in the city. Are you walking with the Lord Jesus? Or do you have all kinds of relationships and fellowships that are extra-biblical, shall we say? You know, it's going to be to your undoing. And we find here with Jonathan that as long as he waited, the longer he waited, the more difficult it became to break off that. Until we find, as you know, the story unfolds that he never did get it broken off. And he was the loser. Now let's turn over to chapter 22. We'll read verse 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, Named Abiathar escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said to Abiathar, I knew in the day that when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of the father, thy father's house. 
Abide thou with me. Fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Here for that little company that followed David in the path of rejection, there was safety. But Jonathan wasn't there. Jonathan was losing out on the experiences of walking by faith daily with David. Experiences that were, would uh, <clears throat> strengthen his faith. And you know, if, as long as you walk in fellowship with this world as you're, you're a child of God, you're missing out on an awful lot in the education of your soul. You're missing out on the exercises of faith, of walking with Christ. Those things that are going to capacitate your soul for eternity <clears throat> and make you ready for the praises of the Savior and that theme that is going to fill all heaven. Because the experiences that we go through in trusting the Lord down here are preparing us for that day. But you know, you're going to miss much in that education if you choose your own way and your own path. Jonathan was trying to walk both paths and he was becoming the loser. Let's turn over to uh, chapter 23 and verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall find, not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul, my father, knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan again went into his house. Here we find another season of fellowship in the life of Jonathan. As I said, they become fewer and fewer between and he still just couldn't make that break with the house of Saul. <clears throat> but here he makes mention of the fact that there was a kingdom coming that David was going to reign and uh, over and that he was going to have a place next to him. But as we know from the story, this never took place, did it? It never took place. He lost a place of reigning with David. And, you know, it reminds me of that verse in uh, Revelation 3. It says, He that overcometh to him will I give to sit with me in my throne. And, you know, there's a place that the Lord will have for each of us for faithfulness of walking with him through this world now in that coming kingdom that Christ is going to have, a place of reward. <clears throat> but, you know, Jonathan lost that with regard to David's kingdom. And if we continue in the path, of compromise in our Christian life, we're going to lose too. Not just the loss of our discernment or our, our enjoyment of David's company, but we're also going to lose future reward and place. Now, we're all going to have a place in the kingdom. Don't get me wrong. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him, Romans 8 says. And all believers more or less suffer with him because we have a life in nature that uh, suffers in the presence of sin. And we're going to all reign with him. But there are special places of reward that we're going to have in the kingdom for those who have sought to walk and identify with the Lord Jesus. And he wants you to have that place, dear young person. But it requires exercise on your part. You know, godliness is not something that creeps up from behind you, sneaks up behind you and jumps on you, you know. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, and if you're going to be a godly Christian, it's going to come through exercise. First Timothy 4 tells us, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. It doesn't just happen to somebody. If you see a godly brother or a godly sister, 
it didn't just fall on them by happenstance. It was because through exercise, God wants us to be responsibly exercised about the pathway, about where your feet are going. Now let's turn over to chapter 30. It's time to close. Chapter 31. Chapter 31. And now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard on Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan, Abinadab, Melchishua, Saul's son. What a sorrowful end that we find in the life and the history of Jonathan. <clears throat> Jonathan, now you find here that he loses power to stand against the enemy. Now remember, with David there was safeguard. But as long as he stayed in Saul's company, he was overcome by the enemy. And we've often said there are only two kinds of Christians, really. The overcomers and the overcome. Which kind of a Christian do you want to be? How do you want to finish your life? As an overcomer or one who has become overcome by the enemy? You're not going to lose your soul salvation, but you can sure make shipwreck concerning the faith and make your life a mess, not only for sorrow in your own life, but for loss in the next separation. The path of walking with David in rejection. Did David feel it? Turn over to Second Samuel chapter 1, where David teaches all Israel the song of the bow. And uh, verse 17, David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. Verse 23, and Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you with scarlet and other delights. Put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O thou, Jonathan, thou hast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been to me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of warfare perished? Did David feel it? You know he did. And in his lamentations, there you find that he puts his finger on the problem. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were not divided in life or in death. And Jonathan went down in that connection. May God give you the grace to put the Lord and his rightful place in your life and that you would find walking in the path of separation the happy, fruitful Christian life. You know, you only got one life to live. Don't spoil it. Don't ruin it. Don't bring trouble into your own life by some relationship that you feel that you need to continue to nurse. As it buys for your attention, give it the axe. It's worth it. You know, we're told elsewhere that if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to have a hand cut off than to enter into a life eternal or into a lost eternity without it. Whatever it may be that it is hindering you from going on in your life, dear young person, let me plead with you, cut it off. It's not worth it. Let's pray.